chapter 15 and I, I ended up uh, I ended up phrasing this I was kind of a little play on words for uh, a program that was started by the government some years ago no child left behind because that's what fits to me out of out of this parable so let's start with Luke chapter 15 begin with verse 1 now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. There's, there's two views on this passage. I always try to prevent, present things to you, if I can, in order to... Um, that way, if, if, if you read something different, then you'll know that I read it too. Um, two views on this passage. One is that, uh, that this passage teaches a believer's restoration to fellowship with God. The second is that it teaches that lost people can come to Christ. Um, now, I'm going to tell you here in just a second why I uh, side with the majority of, of commentators that, that I read on which one of these views. But I'm going to be honest with you, quite honestly, from an application standpoint, um, I really wouldn't get that bent out of shape about applying either one. Um, but we're going to look at the context with which Jesus was speaking and who he was speaking to in order to kind of understand what he was trying to do with this. Number one, Jesus was speaking in response to the Pharisees and to their condemnation. Remember what we just read it says that these people, they got upset and they started grumbling, and this is what they said. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you know, it's interesting because they could not, from a, from a doctrinal, from a religious standpoint, they couldn't complain about him teaching sinners. It's hard to complain about somebody evangelizing to people. So they had to get down into the personal side and say, oh, this guy, he takes and he welcomes sinners to come around him and he, he sits down and eats with them. We're going we're gonna to talk a little further in this. I wish that more of our churches were known for that. I wish that we were better known for welcoming sinners 
and, and spending time building relationships with them. Because Jesus himself, the word says, he did not come to save those who weren't lost. He, but he came to seek and to save that which was lost. At one point, we're, we're reminded that those who are well don't have need of a physician, but those who are sick, that's the ones who need. So these folks, literally what they were saying is, you know, you're out here proclaiming this message of grace and hope and all this, and our problem is that you're doing that to sinners. You see the, you see the backwardsness of that? It was religious people that were saying, hey, how dare you be in a religious leader, you know, in, in your mind, how dare you be spending time with these sinners and eating with them and welcoming them? So what we find out of that statement is Jesus' reason for telling this series of parables. The three parables that are told in Luke chapter 15. It's going to be this one, the, the lost sheep. It's going to be the woman who's searching for a lost coin. And then it's the prodigal son. Those are the three that he rattles through in sequence. He goes through these three parables. But the, the, the passage tells us why he is sharing these parables. It's because of their accusation about him eating and welcoming sinners. It was not because that he was restoring people who were already part of the family of God. It wasn't because he was restoring people who were doing the religious things. It was that he was asking people who were not part of. That was their issue. This man is welcoming and eating with sinners. Separation in society and separation in church is not a new thing. It's not. It's not a new thing. Yesterday, I, I, um, I spent four hours from nine, actually almost five, from nine until almost two, in um, a meeting of the Anderson Fatherhood Initiative. Met, meet some really interesting people uh, that, are, that are part of this. An older gentleman who uh, pastors a church here in town, uh, First time I'd met him, and he started talking to me, uh, Reverend Phillips, and he said, we were talking about this concept, this separation, because I had been reading, and I shared it with some guys Saturday morning. I had been reading uh, in Jeremiah chapter 50 uh, this week as part of my Bible, my app, and my Bible reading plan. I read Jeremiah 50, and it's Jeremiah 50 and 51. They're tough, because they start talking about how he's going to wipe out Babylon, all right? But right in the middle of Jeremiah chapter 50, in fact, I want to I share it with you. I don't have it in this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you right quick. Jeremiah chapter 50, in the very early part of it, he goes into this, this statement right in the middle. And man, it was so good. This is what, uh, this is what he says. In those days and in that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Now that's the divided kingdom. Israel had been divided into Israel and Judah. It was now two different kingdoms, had two different kings and all that stuff. And he says, the people of Israel and the people of Judah shall come together, weeping as they come, and they shall seek their God they shall ask the way to Zion with faces turned toward it, saying, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will never be forgotten. The, the two things that are divided, 
And man, when I read that, I thought, my goodness, how powerful a, a, a visual image, and you can apply it to so many things. You can apply it to uh, those who are believers and unbelievers that are separated. But man, what, what an awesome thing it would be if we were to find a time where that those who were separated, believers and unbelievers, came together weeping as they came and said, let us find the way to Zion. Let us find the way to the place to where we can go and where God is our king. And there we are going to join ourselves to God in an everlasting covenant. What if, what if the, the races within our city that are separated and divided would come together weeping as they came and said, let us find together the city that we can go to where God is our king and we can join ourselves to him. I was sharing that with, with one of the other ministers there yesterday and, and then Brother Phillips over, overheard and, and he, he started talking to me and he said, he said, you know, Nathan, separation is is nothing new. He said, he said, you see that other guy right over there? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, that guy and I were the first two students in Anniston when we were in the eighth grade to integrate. He said, we were the first two to integrate in the city of Anniston. And he said, but I want to tell you something. He said, you talk about being alone. He said, I was sitting in a class and I was the only person that was not white in that class. And he said, and the white people didn't like me and didn't want me there. And the black people considered me to be a traitor and that I'd sold out. And he said, and I'm just in the eighth grade. See, separation in society and church is nothing new. It's nothing new even within the body of Christ. It's not new for people to begin to separate and get off into groups and cliques and all this stuff and, and talk about the other ones. and separate. But separation that Jesus stood there and saw. He stood there and saw religious people that were upset that sinners were coming to grace. It seems to us that that, that would be impossible. How could people who are supposed to be religious and steeped in the understanding of the Word and all that stuff, how on earth could they be upset by people coming to grace? I'll tell you why. Because at times we get so entrenched in our positions, we get so entrenched in our things that we do. How dare God bring somebody else in and, and they have an ability or they have a desire or they have a... Ah, that's not my message today. I want to talk about three things as, as part, of this, part of this parable. The three things I want to talk about is the focus of this shepherd, the actions of the shepherd, and then the attitude of this shepherd. Because we see all three things in this parable. So let's start with the focus of the shepherd, which is Luke chapter 15, verse 4. All right, so let's, let's go back to that. Here's what he said. What man of you... All right, so he's, he's looking at the group. It's like looking at people right here and says, all right, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and you've lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Now, he doesn't say, go after it for 30 days, go after it for two days, go after it. He says, which one of you, as a natural thing, now, you don't ask a question like this if you expect half the people to go, well, I wouldn't do that, Right? 
It wouldn't be a good illustration if you came out and said, all right, guys, I want to ask you something. How many of you, if you had 100 sheep, and if one of them got lost, how many of you wouldn't leave the 90 and 9 there in open country, all right? So stuff can't hide and sneak up on them. We're not up. We're not where things can get and, and be hidden. You're going to leave these sheep together, and you're going to go hunt this one. So I was reading... I came across one commentator, and he reminded of this point. Jesus rejected playing games that treat others as pawns. I think if there's one thing that I honestly can't stand, I can't stand watching people try to pit other people against each other. I can't stand watching people try to do things where they, they utilize their kids as pawns in things, in a marriage, in anything else. I, I, don't, I don't like watching people in the workplace that try to stir somebody up over here and get them fired up at this person, then run over here and talk to them about that person over there. Just because that's using people as pawns. Jesus makes a, a, a clear thing here that the lost sheep was the prize. The lost sheep was the target of the shepherd. He says, hey, I got a hundred. I lost one. I'm going to go find the one. Now, for most of us, a loss of 1%, because you got 100, lose 1, it's 1%, right? 1% doesn't seem to be that great a loss. So why not just accept it? Why not just say, look, I got 99 sheep right here. They're all good. They all stayed where they're supposed to be. They're all where they are. And then I got this one, and it's off somewhere else. Who knows where? Going to go hunt, going to have to do... Why not just take a loss of 1%? There's a lot of people, you know, that would say, hey, why not? Why not let it go? I, from, a, from a scriptural standpoint, we find some legal things. Why? If one sheep was missing, the shepherd had to pay for it unless he could prove that it was killed by a predator. You, if you look at Genesis 31, 38 through 39, Exodus 22, 10 through 13, and Amos 3 and 12, it actually lays some stuff out. Because most of the time, shepherds were not the guys owning the sheep. They were guys that got hired to go take care of sheep for people. Well, that would have been folks like Job and other folks that had flocks. Because remember, guy comes running up to Job. Remember the three, the three ones that come running up to him? And the guy says, hey, boss, all the sheep are gone. See, he was the shepherd. <laughs> now you kind of understand why the guy was a little worried about the sheep getting gone too, don't you? You know, he comes running up to Job. Boss, boss, they're all gone. They've been taken, they, you know. I don't want to be responsible, boss. I promise. And by the way, that's a nice shirt you got on, boss. <laughs> because in, in their legal system, it was already in place. If you're out watching the sheep and, and uh, you can't prove, and how they would prove, if you read these verses, how they would prove they've been killed by predators, you bring the carcass. You bring it and show, hey, this thing got killed by something. It wasn't somebody just taking your word for it. You had to bring it and show it. But what about not finding the lost sheep? So not finding it not only meant there was an expense to the shepherd, but it also meant the disgrace of being known as a careless shepherd. Now keep in mind that Jesus is speaking in a parable. And so we've got to keep the perspective again that these, these guys have come and these, these Pharisees said, Ah, you're, 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 you're welcoming and eating with sinners. And so he, he says, and so he tells them this parable. So he's speaking of himself as a shepherd, but he uses an illustration that they will understand from their own lives and says, look, which one of you, if you had 100 sheep, lost sheep, wouldn't go find it? 
Because you know you're going to be responsible for it, and you know then that your reputation is going to be such that people go, that guy's not a good shepherd. Everybody he goes to work for, he ends up losing some sheep. Okay? Now, we know that Jesus is going to be a shepherd, but what does he say about himself? In John chapter 10 and 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd doesn't lose sheep. The good shepherd doesn't say, well, 1% loss isn't that bad. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Man, Jesus was laying out something for them that they couldn't even grasp the entirety of, even, even in this parable. Even if they were understanding from the context of that he's... You've got, you got to grasp something. This is, this is something people a lot of times don't talk about in this. You've got you to gotta grasp that if God is sovereign, God already knows who all his sheep are. Okay? So, in the because if you're wondering, you go, wait a minute, now how are, how are you siding with this view of, of this parable as being that he's illustrating that the lost can come to Christ? Because God already knows what his sheepfold is. He already knows who's supposed to be in his sheepfold. But some are not there yet. And they're lost, if you will, away from the sheep. And so Jesus makes the good shepherd goes and does the effort to get the sheep and get them into the sheepfold. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, okay, so that's one action of the shepherd. What other actions of the shepherd do we see in chapter 15, verses 4 and 5? So we've got to reread that verse again. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not... What's the next word? Leave. All right, so here's an action. All right, here's a verb. He does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So he will leave... The ones he will go after the one that's lost, and he will keep going until he finds it. He'll keep going until he finds it. But verse 5, then it says, And when he has found, when he has found it, he does what? He lays it on his shoulders, doing what? Rejoicing. So he leaves the 99, he goes after the one that's lost, he stays at it until he finds it, and when he has found it, he takes it up, he lays it on his shoulders, and he rejoices. Now, the shepherd leaving the 99, he left them in safety. Because <laughs> I read this statement in, in, in one of the commentators, and I, I thought it was, he just reminded, there's safety in numbers. Bible even talks about that in Proverbs. Talks about their safety in a multitude of counselors. There's safety in numbers, but when a sheep is off alone, it's in danger, because now it is suspect. It is it is susceptible to an attack. It doesn't have anyone watching its back. You hear that this morning? Sometimes if you get yourself off alone then you're susceptible because there's nobody watching out for you. There's nobody. But, but if you can get over here with the sheep, then there's not only sheep that are paying attention. I understand everybody uses all that statement about sheep are dumb animals and all that, whatever. Sheep are at least paying attention. You know, it's some kind of attention. It may not be great, but it's some kind of attention. But most importantly, when sheep are together, there's a shepherd 
And the good shepherd is Jesus Christ. The good shepherd is the one who not only says the good shepherd will lay down his life, but he did lay down his life for us. And he then is also the door. He says, I, I'm the door. Nobody comes in. You try to come in and get into where my sheep are any other way, you're a thief and a robber. But I'm the door that you can come in and go out through. Mm. He wasn't saying that the 99 were unimportant. He wasn't, he wasn't in this illustration saying, well, I don't care about the 99 sheep. I'm just worried about this one sheep. More importantly, what he was saying is, I know that the 99 that are together will be safe, but I need to go get the one that's alone because it has no protection where it is. This thing could wander off. It could wander off a cliff. It could wander off into some rocks and get attacked, whatever it was. But the shepherd then not only leaves and goes, but he goes to great personal effort and risk. Think about it. If you can stay in the open country where all these other sheep are, well, you can see things yourself. You're not at risk of somebody coming up on you, robbing you. You're not at risk of, of going out into the rocks and slipping and falling by yourself, gashing a leg open, breaking a leg out. Can you imagine? There's no cell phones. You know, you're not whipping out your shofar. You know, I'm trying to hope somebody's going to hear and go, hey, I need some help over here. You're out in the middle of, uh, of, of kind of a wilderness area, but, but where you got stuff to be able to feed these sheep. And so if you're off by yourself, so there's risk in the shepherd. And look, keeping that in perspective of Jesus, we know there was risk. We know there was not only risk, but there was absolute, there was death that became involved because he said the good shepherd lays down his life. In, in Jesus coming to gather his sheep, and to provide the way and to provide safety for us, he, he didn't just take risk. He went and he laid down his life. He bore stripes upon his back. He let a crown of thorns be pushed in on his head in order that we might come back to the relationship with, with, with God himself and be in that sheepfold. One of the things I thought was most interesting out of this of these actions is in order to ensure that the sheep is quickly brought to the flock, he picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. Man, I had, I had, you know, it seemed like a dozen mental images go through my mind when I thought about that. Because right, I, I, I thought to myself, yeah, can you imagine, you know, you've got a sheep that's off by itself. Who wants to go to the trouble of trying to herd one sheep? All the way back to wherever, because you don't know where this sheep has gotten to at this point in this story. We have no clue. This sheep may have gone over, over hill and over dale to grandmother's house. He went, right? You know, he may be out in a rocky area, whatever else. And you got to try to keep this sheep in line, getting it back to the fold. He says, no, I don't even have time for that. Just like that picture we showed at the beginning. He picks that sheep up, puts it on his shoulders, and he holds it. And he says, now I'm going to bear the weight of this sheep. It'd be a lot easier from one standpoint, from a carrying it standpoint, if I would not carry this sheep, if I'd run him before me. But I may have a hard time keeping him in line, getting him over to the sheepfold. I got to get him where he'll see others and he'll act right. So I pick him up and I put him on my shoulders, but he doesn't, he doesn't put him on his shoulders going, ah. He puts him on his shoulders rejoicing. 
the actions of the shepherd. When he comes home in verse 6, he calls together his friends and his neighbors. That's a one, remember, it's one sheep. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 7, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's no picture of a reluctant shepherd who's scolding the sheep. See, sometimes I think that's, that's kind of where, if we're not careful in church, that's where we want to get. We want to get to that point where, man, if we know somebody's got sin in their lives and all that, we know they're away from God. Man, we kind of want to go, and, and when they come to Christ, you know, we want to celebrate a little at the moment, but then afterwards we're going, you know, I tell you what, that drinking was just, it was going to put you in the ground. I tell you what, and that all that that smoking that weed that you was doing, or I'm sorry, when I was when I was a, a little boy, it was smoking that wacky weed. It was wacky weed. That's what I heard. You know, that's that's what. See, we kind of want to do that, but we don't want the shepherd to do that to us, do we? We want him when he finds us off in our life, and I, I, I'm I know I'm I'm getting away from the parable concept here for just a moment, but. We want to, when we find ourselves straight away from God, we don't want Him to come over and just flog us as a sheep and say, you know, I'm going I'm to lay some stripes upon you, sheep. Well, you're, you'll know not to you know, go over here again. That's not what we want. We want Him to find us in our moment of danger and pick us up and put us on His shoulders and get us back to the flock rejoicing and happy that He has rescued us from the danger that we maybe didn't even recognize we were in. Jesus does not give. See, I think the Pharisees would have liked that. I think the Pharisees, if he would have said, when he finds that sheep, he took out his staff, and he beat the wool off that sheep, right? He just beat the wool off of it. And then he, then he, he took and he prodded that thing all the way back to the sheepfold and said, you won't ever stray off again, right? I think the Pharisees would have been good with that because their, their problem was they were looking at these people that were sinners. They were looking at us, Gentiles. They were looking at, at, at people that were outside of what they believed was to be the only consideration of God's family. And, and they're going, man, these people are terrible, and they do all this sinful stuff, and they don't act right, and they don't live right, and they don't do right. How on earth could you be welcoming them? How on earth could you be eating with them? And for sure, they shouldn't get any kind of grace. But Jesus doesn't give them a picture of a shepherd who goes and scolds the sheep, but rather he gives them a parable of a shepherd who demonstrates relief and elation. He has found the sheep, and then this shepherd calls all his friends together and, and has a party. How many of you like to have parties? How many of you like to go to a party? Because maybe that's you going, I don't want to have a party. That's terrible, you know. How many of you like to go to a party where you don't have to do the cleanup afterwards, all right? You know, can I get an amen? Look, here, there's a, there's a point here. Do it again. How many of you like to, go, you like to go to a party if you don't have to clean up? All right? So why does it not bother us as Christians that we don't get to have that many parties because people aren't coming to Christ? 
Oh, man, I just took and dropped that one on you. I mean, think about it. He says there's more rejoicing in heaven over the one that comes to Christ than over the 99 that don't need to come to Christ, in essence. And so if, if something generates a party in heaven, why on earth is it not a motivation for us to experience that more on earth? You say, wait a minute, I can't save anybody. You're absolutely right. We sure can't. But if we don't, if we don't, aren't investing as Jesus was doing, if we aren't investing in the people who are sinners, if we're not inviting people who are sinners to church, if we're not spending time with them in our own homes or whatever, then you're not going to get a chance to rejoice like heaven rejoices because they come to Christ, because you're not doing anything with them. You're not investing in them. You're not sharing the gospel with them. You're not bringing them to church. Hey, I mean, I wish that the accusation would be, man, them people over there at that church, they welcome sinners and eat with them. Because that would mean we were being accused of what Jesus was accused of. And Jesus turns around and says, let me tell you why that I'm doing this. You want to know why? You got a problem with this? He says, because I'm the shepherd and I'm out pursuing lost sheep. Because I'm going to set off a party up in my home that I came from because everybody's going to get together and go, there's another one that's come back to the focus. We already know what's supposed to be in the family. We're just getting our groove on because there's one that's come to the family. I just want to celebrate. Y'all not feeling it. You're not feeling it. I mean, hey. Wouldn't it be exciting if every day, I know you're around lost people because I am. Wouldn't it be exciting if our mindset was, I wonder if we're going to get to have a party today. I wonder if, because he said, lift up your eyes and look at the harvest field. It's wide in the harvest. The fields are ready, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth workers because I've already prepared. I'm doing the work. I'm the one that causes the growth. I'm the one that's going to bring them in. But I'm giving you the opportunity to be my hands and feet, go in the field and collect it. Instead, I think sometimes we look at it like, oh my goodness, he's sending us into the field to go pick pole beans. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hard work. It ain't no fun. My fingers are going to hurt. This is no good. Instead of looking going, going to get to have a party. We get to celebrate. Man, do you realize, I want, man, you just got to get this visual image. Do you realize that if somebody came to Christ today in this place and we were standing here celebrating that the Bible says, Jesus just said that heaven is rejoicing too. If we ever want to see the closest connection between here and there before he comes back, it's when sinners come to Christ. Because the celebration that happens here, he says, oh man, they start having a party up in heaven. Lost sinners came to Jesus. That's what they were accusing him of. But they didn't come to Jesus because he compromised. He wasn't compromising anything. They didn't come to Jesus because he catered to them. They came to Jesus because he cared for them. They came to Jesus because he demonstrated concern for them spiritually, for their needs, for their issues. That's a quote from one of the guys I was reading. He said, the Pharisees had a knowledge of the Old Testament law and a desire for personal purity, yet they had no love for lost souls. 
That, that's got to sink in. It's easy for us to get to where we're very knowledgeable about the Bible. It's easy for us to get to where we want people to have a certain lifestyle, spiritual lifestyle, and we're demanding of that. Remember, there was a church in Revelations that got reminded of that. He said, look, I, I know that, 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 you, that you work hard. I know your labors. I know that you do all that. I know that you can't stand anything that's evil. I know that you prove out to folks that are false prophets. And all. He said, but I got something against you. The thing I got against you is you left your first love. You don't have love anymore. You've become academic with all of this. You've become sterilized. You've become impotent. You can't bear children. You've become impotent. You're not multiplying. You're not replicating. Because it's all become just sterile and academic. And it's all just about study. And there's no passion in your life anymore. You've lost your love. You've lost all of that emotion that has to be coupled with. Worship in spirit and in truth. These Pharisees, they had a knowledge of the law, and they wanted everybody to be pure. Remember, I mean, that's the struggle with them all through the New Testament. Is they want to talk about, oh, we tithe of this and do all this and these other people. And man, it, they had to be told, yes, you do. You tithe of mint and all these other things, but you've, you've left these other things undone. You haven't done justice and mercy and all this stuff, and you should not have left those undone. You should do these others and do these more weightier matters. But what was the attitude of our good shepherd? Guilty as charged. He welcomed sinners. He ate with sinners. He offered sinners hope. And he rejoiced when sinners came into the fold. Man, do you realize... You may have never had anybody throw a party for you. No serious party, you know. Most of us adults, it's probably been a long time since we really had somebody throw a party for us, right? You know, I mean, we'll have a, you know, a little get-together. Somebody buys a cake from Winn-Dixie, you know, right? Somebody splurges, they got it from Publix, right? I think Brian likes the one from Winn-Dixie, though. Yeah, yeah. See, they got the best icing. Right? You know, as adults, we don't, we, nobody really throws us big parties. If they do, it's one you don't want. You know, it's like, it's like you're, you're, uh, you're, you're retiring and everybody's like, you know, doing the over the hill and we hope you make it another two years, you know, that kind of, those aren't the kind of parties you enjoy that much. Most of us, we haven't, but, but do you realize that heaven broke out in celebration when you accepted Jesus Christ? I think, I think sometimes in our, in our process of, of trying to understand all these things about God and, and trying to grasp um, the, the very difficult things, if you will, the, 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 the truly weighty matters, the, the holiness of God and His righteousness and His sovereignty and all of these things that are so powerful and they're so meaningful. But I think almost that sometimes we walk away from understanding God celebrates over us. We kind of we we kind of miss you know Zephaniah when he says that that the basically the warrior king is in your midst and he rejoices over you with singing. We we kind of miss the 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 what he's what he's telling here in this parable that that when he found you and he picked you up and he put you on his shoulders and he carried you to the fold that then he called together all his friends 
and they had a party. They celebrated because he said, hey, this one, it wasn't lost. I went and got it, and I brought it in. And, and in our individual lives and in our life as a body of believers, I hope that we will grasp the necessity of slowing things down at times in our lives, of carving time out so that we can welcome sinners, eat with sinners, offer sinners hope, and then pray that we're the ones that happen to be there and get to rejoice when that sinner comes into the fold. Now, where people often decide that they want to get themselves hung up about this concept is that, uh, well, now we can't be condoning what people are doing. Okay. You're not arguing with me. Are you saying Jesus was condoning what people were doing? I mean, hey, we're not going to play around in this discussion. All right. When we start doing, going down that path, then I'm just going to say, then you need to talk to Jesus about it. Because Jesus was meeting with sinners. Jesus was eating with sinners. Jesus was greeting with sinners. And then when they came to a saving knowledge of, of his gospel, then, then all of his daddy and all his angels, heaven celebrated. Look, I don't have to come. Jesus didn't condone things. Man, Jesus was about as straightforward as you can get. Jesus tell people, remember, Jesus tell a woman, well, hey, I know this, you don't have a husband, and if I, you've already had five. I know what the deal is. Jesus could look at people and say, hey, yeah, you've been taking tax money that you weren't, you've been abusing stuff. You need to go give that stuff back. I mean, look, Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't cut corners, but when you truly care about people, even in your correction, even in your not condoning things, your love, your love, hear me, your love is so evident that people will hear it and they will see it out of our lives. These guys, these sinners were coming to Jesus. People were following him. He spoke words of life. He spoke words of power. They saw miracles. They saw all of these things. They saw much that Jesus did, and so people were drawn to it to the point that the religious crowd tried to make that to be a derisive thing, tried to make that to be a negative, tried to make that something that he would be embarrassed. Oh, my goodness, how could, how could the religious people say that, oh, he's welcoming sinners and eating with sinners? Jesus is like, yes, I am. Yes, I did. And yes, I will. And you need me. <laughs> I guess he couldn't say you need Jesus. <laughs> what was the attitude of the good shepherd? So I have to ask myself. I have to ask you. What's your attitude? What's your attitude toward making an effort to welcome sinners. One of these guys asked me yesterday, um, in this, this fatherhood initiative, uh, some things are going to happen uh, with the uh, prison system and uh, some other areas. We were sitting talking, and the guy says, he says, how much time do you have for this? I said, I don't know. I don't know how much time we need. I said, but I'm learning something in my life right now. 
I'm learning something about meeting with guys every week. I'm learning something about exercising every day. I'm learning some of these things. I even learned, I walked both days that the walking club walked this last week. I walked with Michelle. Can I get an amen? You don't even know that was close to a miracle. But I'm learning. I'm learning that if you really want to do something, then you will trade away what is good for what is best. Not what's bad. You'll trade away what is good for what is best. Jesus made time for sinners. To say you not only welcomed them, but you ate with them, that means you invested time into sinners. And Jesus didn't treat them like sinners. Jesus treated them as sheep that needed a shepherd. Jesus treated them as people who had legitimate questions and concerns, and he knew that he was the answer. So what's your attitude today? What's your attitude toward sinners? Do you welcome them, yet maintain your spiritual commitment? Do you eat with them, yet not go to the excesses of things that they might do? Do you offer them hope, or do you only offer them condemnation? Do you rejoice when sinners come into the fold, and does it drive you to be able to say, I want to see someone saved. I want to see. God, I want you to use me to help bring in a harvest. Oh, that we would be accused. Those people at Unity Point, they welcome sinners. They eat with them. And I hope they'll add the third thing then and say, and then those people get saved. I don't, know, I don't know where you are in your life today, not only in your attitude towards sinners, but I don't know where you are in, quite honestly, there may be some things where you've strayed away. You know where God is, you know where the shepherd is, but you know that you've strayed away from what it is that, that God wants in your life. Because here's an important thing that I know. It's difficult for us to help the shepherd if we're not close to the shepherd. You know, you can't get much direction from the shepherd if you don't want to be near him yourself. Saturday, with these guys, I was talking about walking with Michelle and how that we were talking a lot, and I said, you can't walk with somebody and not talk to somebody. Let me tell you something. If you want to be helping the shepherd, you've got to be walking with him. And if you're walking with him, he's going to be talking to you. So are you running? Is there stuff in your life where you're going, man, I know I need to be helping bring sinners to Christ and I need to be part of that process and welcome and eat and offer them hope. But man, I've strayed off in my own life. Now's the time. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to listen to these words.